we want to take what film has, which is the unique ability to garner empathy and pathos from an audience. And we want to take what we believe in, which is educating people on important social justice topics. And so the truth is that like through this experience and through the process of writing this film and learning and meeting more and more people, I've become all the more aware of how much we silence things that we don't understand. You have to be bold. You have to know how you stand up and show up for justice. And so in order to do that, you have to educate yourself about your personal perspective on race and how you've let it play out. And then also the historic context of race. So then you are fortified with, with knowledge so that when you face a situation, you know how to intervene or advocate. Chapman University's Wilkinson College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences and Heritage Future present Engaging the World, Leading the Conversation on the Significance of Race, a 10-part podcast series exploring racial inequality, racial terrorism, and racial justice and reconciliation, while honoring the voices and stories of people of color. We take into account the complicated history of our country and humanity in general, while examining where we are today and looking at the challenges that lay ahead. Through art, storytelling, and education, we can all learn to be allies and engage the world to help evolve to a place of compassion and social equity. In this episode, we connect with Natasha Minair and Chloe Arnold. Natasha wrote and directed the short film In a Beat about a single mother and her autistic son. Chloe Arnold plays Angela, a professional dancer struggling to balance her career and raising her son Daryl, who's on the autistic spectrum. The film explores the struggles of being a single parent, a woman of color, an artist in pursuit of a dream, all while creating stability with an autistic child. Here are Natasha Minar and Chloe Arnold. The script itself was written and inspired by my cousin, and his experience is that of a Black child with autism. So it was important for me to be accurate to his experience, number one. Um, so that was kind of the initial inspiration behind the story. And then the second important reason was that the access to um, healthcare and to services and to the privileges that many different people as a part of the neurodiverse community get to have access to are definitely limited in the Black community. Um, so I thought it was important to show a film that put the Black experience with autism at the forefront of the story um, and gave people like my cousin a chance to actually see themselves as the hero of a story because I remember so vividly when he was about 12 and asked me what films he should watch that he might see himself in. And that was actually when I first came up with the idea is uh, because I had very few, I had literally zero suggestions of a Black lead with um, on the spectrum Step one was writing it. We created boundaries for ourselves. Well, for myself, I created boundaries and I found um, a way into the story, right? Like I found a way in through my cousin's experience. I found a way in through the beauty of tap and the music. That was kind of the initial step. And then once we, once I had the concept, before I even started writing the script, um, I actually knew I wanted to work with Chloe because it was written after that point with her in mind, um, which I know is like literally a basic 101 film thing you're not supposed to do <laughs> because uh, they, you know, it's usually the case that you don't get your first pick kind of thing. Um, but in the, this case, I 
was maybe naive enough, I guess, and hopeful enough that I thought, let's go for it. And so I wrote the character after watching tons of videos of Chloe and lots of different, I mean, I'd already been a fan of Chloe. So it was already, a, you know, a person whose voice and whose kind of aesthetic I was already aware of. And then I wanted it to be an iconic female tap dancer. And so to me, Chloe is by far the most iconic. I mean, there's amazing people like Diane Walker and of course, like who I got to meet through Chloe, which was an absolute dream. But, um, you know, we wanted someone who was the 2020 female lead. Um, and I thought that Chloe was perfect for that. So once we had the script done, I actually went and took Chloe's dance class that she happened, a friend of mine who is who had danced with Chloe growing up, um, shot me a message that she was teaching at Debbie Allen that day. And so like, I had like two hours to like print out the script and get my shoes and I hadn't danced in like three years. And I was like, well, it looks like we're gonna go take class. And I just remember very distinctly, like I had the script on top of my bag, like, and I think my friend had mentioned to Chloe that I was gonna come by. And so she knew I was there, but she didn't necessarily know which one. I mean, I guess I don't know how she wouldn't have known which one because I was such a sore thumb <laughs> in the group. But anyway, after we finished, I walked up to her and gave her the script and she was her always incredibly gracious self and read it that night and was so supportive, one, of the idea and two, of, of a female filmmaker. So it was pretty much just an absolute dream from that point on. Because um, once Chloe was involved, all the other production elements became so much easier because she is such an icon. It was like, people are more excited about getting on board when Chloe's in it. There's, you know, access to different apps, aspects of production that we wouldn't have had if Chloe hadn't, you know, created those lines of sight for us to dance studios, you know, to shoot the opening in or like to practice spaces at her own dance studio. And there was just a, there was a lot of um, opportunity that was created once she was involved. So I was extremely grateful for that. For myself, obviously, I'm a Black woman. I've gone through life that from day one. And um, inclusion is so important. And having your own stories told is truly life-changing. And when I go through my history and I look at my life, um, I look at nine years old, I saw the movie Tap starring Gregory Hines. That, that seeing African-American leads uh, telling the story through an art, an African-American art form that I loved gave me the vision and hope that this was something I could do from nine years old. And then I looked to my life at 16 where Debbie Allen came to DC to give back and put on a big show at the Kennedy Center that I got to be a part of. And seeing her again as the director and the actress and the choreographer and the writer as an example of what you can accomplish uh, as a black woman against the odds, that again was representation that really inspired me. So when I look at my life throughout the many stages, uh, Beyonce would be the next like step for me. Uh, seeing her firsthand and working with her changed my life, changed my how I viewed my body, right? How curves fit into the status quo in dance of being skinny and typically skinny and white to get a job. And now Beyonce has come and evolved that we can be curvy and we can be um, ourselves, right? And so all of this representation was truly effective for me. So being a part of a film like this is really important because I know the value that it brings. And now from having done the film, we've gotten so much feedback from parents and kids, from communities of, of all backgrounds, but it's really special when 
for example, actually my ex-boyfriend, uh, his daughter, he has an autistic black daughter. And knowing the journey, the arduous journey he's had uh, really made this film more purposeful for me. And then once we did the film for him, it helped him breach conversations that maybe before he was scared to have, feeling alone and isolated and and also just underrepresented. So I think the whole point of the film, you know, as with anything, is to bring um, more conversation, more eyes, more heart, more p compassion, mm -hmm. and more unity uh, around understanding the human experience and the unique um, aspect and element of the Black experience in America. Chloe shares her preparation for the role of Angela a mother finding a way of pursuing her career while meeting the needs of her son. As an artist, having a family often stifles the dream and the drive. It's a balancing act, and it is not an easy road. I believe that when Natasha presented the script, I don't think, I was not dating the guy whose child is autistic. So this was just divine intervention that I was to be immersed in the, the real life of what it is to raise a you know an autistic child, and so um, I think that was the universe preparation, right? Because I am a I my heart is so big, and it, it was like to be honest, I didn't even want to date men with children, period. So then all, all of a sudden, I'm dating a man with a child, <laughs> with an autistic child. So and and raising her as a single dad, and so there's so many challenges he faced, but because my care was greater than the obstacles, I was down for it. And so I learned a lot and I grew a lot. Now, when the film was ready to actually happen, I'd had this real life experience that couldn't have been more meaningful. But again, when I think about the mom in that story, if I think about my mom, who's a single mom, and she had dreams deferred from raising us, right? So I think that the thing that she gave us, the greatest thing that she gave us was the freedom to pursue our dreams and the encouragement to do that against all odds. No matter what happens, do not give up on your dream. And so I think this character in that way was actually the easiest part because I have always had the like, you know, I've had to take what seems so scary and so daunting and like, ah, and then surpass it and find that, find, live my purpose. And my mom has always been an encourager of that. And so I think with, you know, Angela, she's, she's, I picture her as me back in college. Like if I had had a child at that time, that is what I would have been figuring out is how do I balance these things? But I would have had that deep sense of what it means to fulfill your passion. And then I think personally, when you're a parent and you fulfill your passion, you are a better parent because you're coming to your child with more, with more fullness. And, you know, again, I'm not a parent, but just I've been around so many kids and their parents and I feel like I'm like also the counselor. Um, and so I think that kids, it's important for kids to see their parent being fulfilled and being happy. Yeah. I'd say the, the most frequent uh, response we've had from parents has been that kind of uh, 
moment because I do think that that was something that we spent a lot of time thinking about in the writing of it. Like I wanted, I wanted those moments of my friends who were earlier parents or my friends who were later parents or just any of my friends who are raising children that that experience is is fraught with this kind of balancing act of the fact that you want to pursue your dreams but you and you don't want to ever begrudge your child for keeping you from that opportunity or something and that is even more relevant in the autism community because the reality is that it is a frequent misconception and honestly like frequently abused trope within film to say that um, people with autism are a burden people with autism are these types of challenges right and so it was it was a fine line to walk actually to find a way to do a story that had a mom who was coming up against these kinds of situations and had those realistic internal kind of challenges but didn't convey the child as the burden she conveyed the child instead as one of the decision factors in her life and i think that is how the reality of the way that parents really feel it like i think i don't think parents are constantly looking at their child as a burden they're looking at their child as one of the many parts of their life that bring them this unbelievable joy and and the truth is that at certain points in life we cannot have all things at once and i think that reality is something that is really beautiful and bittersweet about life you know it's because of that that belief in ourselves and that importance of going after these dreams going after these kind of wants and the and the fact that the child also has those dreams for his mom and is there with her and wanting her to succeed and wanting her happiness and so i think like with all those factors included we attempted to walk that line and show that that nuanced um perspective about parenting and it's so real and i have so many friends who have had children younger and had to navigate oh i'm on a world tour now for a massive artist what do i do and each one has their own approach and way that they make it work but i have seen it work and so i just you know again i'm just an advocate for figure it out so that all parties can can flourish yeah both Natasha and Chloe started dancing at a young age. They discussed the importance of dance and how it lends itself to the visual medium of film and video. What got me into film was filming dance. Like I started filming dance reels for dancers and like just to help them go to their auditions, you know, and like the process of filming a dance reel for someone you start slowly seeing like, oh, look, this is the way that I can shoot this angle in order to best, you know, show how long her leg is, or this is how I can shoot this angle to show how fast he's turning or whatever, you know, like there's, there's just little things that tricks that you learn over time that are initially just intended to kind of like make the aesthetic for that particular performer more admirable and get them the job. Right. But um, over time, I realized that film was, was kind of a unique way of experiencing dance because dance is so frequently something that is done live and something that is done um, as kind of a, a form of communication. It tapped for definitely is, but even all the other art forms that are the dance forms, I mean. Um, so that live experience, at first I, I felt it as a deficit. I felt like, oh, we're losing the energy and this humanity that, that theater and stage brings. But um, in reality, I think that film actually offers its own whole world. I think it offers this 
uh, up close way to experience that energy. It offers this kind of like intimate way to understand tap, for instance, like for so many people who've never seen tap, looking at the feet of someone who is performing a rhythm and seeing the rhythm is something that a drummer can't even necessarily give you, right? Like you really, you see the rhythm in their toe and their heel. And it's just such a unique, uh, unique way to experience music. So I think film itself offers a lot of very interesting elements. Tap dance is an art form born out of a necessity for freedom. During uh, a time when African-Americans were enslaved, there, um, this was a form of communication, literally, um, rhythmic understanding. And you have to also remember, this is a time where people were being taken from Africa that spoke different languages, separated from families. So dance and rhythm and drumming were innate in the way that people connected. And so that's been passed on through generations. And um, I think number one thing like, you know, tap improv is improvisation. And I think for me, my number one skill set when I go, when I'm working on any of my television shows is my ability to improvise. Nothing ever goes according to plan. I'll say Natasha's shoot mostly went according to plan. Because <laughs> she really mapped that thing out. But, but usually, even in the biggest budget projects, things don't go according to plan. And so being able to improvise and, and immediately, you know, on one thing I got, had to do recently, well, last year now, was with Will Smith. And, you know, I worked all week to make this piece happen. And then they told me, oh, you're going to have 15 minutes to teach him. So, you know, at that point, I could just freak out or I can figure it out. So I think that's what's fun about dance and film is that dance teaches you how to adjust, how to find the rhythm and the flow to what you're doing. And also another really important thing is how to perform. Because when you're a director, you're also a performer, meaning you are the helm, the captain of the ship. And if you are someone that's, you know, I mean, and there are lots of directors that are very, maybe more brainy and, you know, slouched like in this lens. But when you have the opportunity, when you're a dancer, you tend to be an actor's director, right? You tend to be able to lead from a space of like, we're going to rally this thing. We're going to hit it. And I think that for me, I enjoy that kind of directing. Um, and I think that it makes for a really fun set and a very alive and organic experience. So I think dance is something that like frees that inner spirit to be confident and to show up on stage. And in your case, as the director, you're on stage where everybody's looking to you for the answers. And then when you don't have the answers that you improvise and you make it up and you make people think that you know what you're doing, because that's the other thing for anybody. Once you reach that next level of challenge, you're not going to know what you're doing. So all you have, you have your training to rely on, but then more importantly, you have your self-confidence and your ability to adapt in that moment. Film is a, film offers a unique experience in that capacity. It's so, you know, you, the movement also, Chloe is so, she's shot dance, tap so many different ways. The fact that dance itself, because it is so kind of fast and hard to catch it's like you know trying to film running or anything that is going to cause motion blur on a camera is going to cause people to think about how to shoot that right you have to think about your shutter speed you have to think about the way that you're going to actually like 
most effectively capture the movement front to back, you know? And I think that uh, dance inspires new ways of thinking in regards to shooting. In a Beat was released on YouTube in July of 2020, and in six months already has over 15,000 views. It is a testament to our time that technology can allow this film to find its audience, to have an effect, and to make a difference. I see the importance of indie film as, as one, getting the opportunity to explore landscapes that wouldn't get to be explored in um, films that are specifically targeted at a wider audience. Um, and then two, I see it as exploring some of these new accesses to audiences. So we released our film on YouTube, you know, like we, we released it on YouTube during, during a pandemic. <laughs> so I think, you know, the interesting thing about doing that was we, you know, we had no idea if this film would be seen by 20 or a thousand or, or what it ended up being, which was closer to 15,000 people. And for, for an independent film team, I think like, you, your usual goal is like, let's get to one screening, let's get to one opportunity where we can get together maybe a few hundred people and like really have an interesting conversation. But what it ended up being is let's get together a few thousand people and have an interesting conversation, which I think right. is a really telling experience. And I think it's something that Chloe, for instance, is you know a huge advocate of her entire career with the syncopated ladies and everything is is about viral videos and how powerful the viral video can be on the population and on the kind of a general uh, experience, the, the way that we experience things on the day-to-day, -day, I guess I should say, rather than on these kind of more formal uh, large screen theaters. Honestly, even before COVID had happened, we had already been discussing the fact that festivals were not really the end game for us because they are limited audiences. Like even in your best case scenario, you get maybe like, you know, a small crowd, like 50 people or hundred people, you know? And so that just isn't, we had always had the plan of like, we're going to release it on YouTube. Is it going to happen now? Or is it going to happen in a year after it does a festival circuit for a year, you know? And the reality of the returns is that, yeah, the, there aren't returns. <laughs> they don't exist. Um, but, you know, we made the film via the investments that, you know, we made personal investments, obviously. We raised money through largely actually the uh, medical community. Um, we had doctors and physicians and administrators at different hospitals that donated to the project. Um, and then we, the last round of donations and of support very largely came through Chloe. I mean, the her community gave us access to so many things that ended up either being free or being, you know, like there's just so many ways that Chloe donated both in money and in other kind of, what do you call those non-money forms? <laughs> there's a word for that that I forget right now. <laughs> it's something that, you know, Shakespeare in the Park or some of these other really great companies that have found ways to run a nonprofit and give free art to, to the public whilst using a kind of like, you know, 501c3 donor-based kind of model in order to make that happen. As a company, that's definitely something that we're, interested in and researching. I don't think that we have a system in place yet that is totally successful. Like our current stage is that we make commercials. That's like our bread and butter. And through those commercials, we get one, the experience needed to like, you know, bust out a four day production like we did where we didn't hit any production hiccups because we've done that so many times. Everybody that was there knows how to do a shoot, you know? We have these commercials, but then we have uh, the other side, which is the narrative, which doesn't have a clear uh, path at the moment. And I think 
we will find it. We are very interested in that nonprofit model. Um, and we think that it's only going to be more important to do it that way because we're taking on social justice topics. Like you can't, you know, we need those to be seen by the people freely. We need them to be shared by the people freely and not have this barrier for entry. This is really important uh, to understand the value of um, social media as an equalizer. I grew up poor in Washington, DC. Had this vision of, I wanna put tap on film. How am I gonna do that? Film is incredibly expensive and that's back before dig digital filmmaking. How am I gonna do that? I go to Columbia University, again, incredibly expensive scenario. Fortunately, I got a scholarship, but still when you're studying film there, you still have to rent the equipment. You have to sign out the equipment. You want the good stuff, cost money. We didn't have that. My filmmaking in college was, you know, ah, left some to be desired, right? But then I moved to LA and then there was the invention of YouTube, right? And so all this studying that I had done in the film space that was so highbrow and so expensive and so polarizing between the scholarship students and the wealthy students, but now there's YouTube and now there's digital filmmaking. And so now I can get a smaller device and make something and whatever I imagine and put it out for the general public to access and have real time, um, real raw, we know the internet is raw, responses. And, and whether you know they're great or we've been fortunate and had majority wonderful responses, but still, it, most importantly, the voice that I was unable to get to the masses when there was no, when everything was so expensive, now became this um, very direct, you know, product to consumer, immediate direct without any middle people and without needing financiers. So I think it's so important, this, you know, like even for like short filmmaking and how we were able to release this, you know, now it, everybody could see it. I have students that are literally homeless in New York that were able to tune in on their phone and living in shelter and be able to watch a movie that they wouldn't come to, you know, the wonderful, but a little more highbrow independent film festival to watch it. Well, it was important for the, for the autistic community too, because it was, you know, the thing about releasing this film is it wasn't intended to be made for people who love watching films and like the, the community of people who go to film festivals are generally filmmakers, you know, because they're excited about film and they want to go to a festival. Um, so I think the audience that we really wanted to reach was the autistic community and the parents and the kids and the, and the autistic adults and just people who would be inspired by the story of this kid or inspired by my cousin. And so, um, that was another thing that we were really excited about, about releasing it online um, and releasing it in this independent capacity is that we could, we could let any person feel the ability to watch this film anytime they want at home and have the ability to also add comments, speak with us and be a part of kind of a conversation about their own experience as well, which um, was important to us. In the opening scene of the movie, young Daryl, played brilliantly by Cameron Ellie, is involved in a confrontation with another child who is not aware of his condition. Punitive action is taken on the young black boy, instead of questioning and understanding. There is a connection to the all-too-common response of seeking punitive action when a person of color is perceived to be doing something wrong. 
we want to take what film has, which is the unique ability to garner empathy and pathos from an audience, you know, and we want to take what we believe in, which is educating people on important social justice topics. Um, and so the truth is that like through this experience and through the process of writing this film and learning and meeting more and more people, I mean, I've met a lot of people now in the autism community, I've become all the more aware of how much we silence things that we don't understand. You know, it's just a, it's our fallback and it is, it is an inappropriate and completely salvageable, you know, response. Like we don't need to silence. We can absolutely lift up. We can absolutely listen. And it doesn't take any more energy than the silencing did. And we wanted to do it through kids because the truth is, what a perfect way to show how young we start kind of making these mis, you know, inappropriate interactions. Um, because yeah, it is to an extent, both a film that I wanted to have a happy ending, but I also wanted to be quite bittersweet because that is how I see the current uh, situation. I think that the black experience is fraught with pain and conflict at the moment, and it is unfair and unjust. And that, that is something that, is truly tragic. It is not fair, you know? And so because of that, yeah, that kid is going to have to go out the next day and deal with every single one of the same problems that were left there behind him. But that's why in order to make something happen, in order to make something loving, we kept it inside this one house. We kept it between he and his mom because that is the truly beautiful moment in his life. And that is why we created the structure the way that we created it. We can look in the news right now and we see uh, you know, obviously police brutality and through the Black Lives Matter movement, understand that it's like there's so much embedded racism that I challenge everyone when you see someone black, you know, for, for both, for everybody, when you see somebody black, what are what are you doing in your head? How are you processing how you treat them? what assumptions you make about what they're doing versus what they are not doing. How, how, um, how much is, is that based around your previous experiences and what were those experiences? And also challenge yourself to diversify your community. You know, like, and as a black woman, I say that from, this, from the position of you know, traveling around the world. I've been to 30 countries, I've taught tap in Chinese, Japanese, Portuguese, Spanish, French. And for me, it only has like broadened my heart, opened me up to so much and also simultaneously made me really proud to be black because I know the richness of what that means and then how I'm able to share and affect the world. But simultaneously, I also know what it is to walk into a room and have a bunch of assumptions made about you just for the color of your skin. And so I think in this in this film, mm -hmm. it's really important for us to open our minds further. I know mine was my heart was opened even further to the world of autism and the the beauty of all of the people that we met. Now I carry that and I will be an advocate forever. And so I think the same way when we think about race is that you have to be bold. You have to you have to know like how you stand up and show up for justice. And so in order to do that, you have to educate yourself about your personal perspective on race and how you've let it play out. 
and then also the historic context of race. So then you are fortified with, with knowledge so that when you face a situation, you know how to intervene or advocate. And um, I just think it's, this is, this isn't racial justice is a teamwork, dream work mission. It cannot just happen from one community. If you'd like to continue the conversation, visit chapman.edu slash Wilkinson to hear the full lecture and watch the movie in a beat on YouTube. For more socially conscious content, visit us at publicpodcasting.org or follow us at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you podcast.